you for for worship god i thank you that we can come together and just celebrate you this morning and lord i just i thank you for your word that we're about to open up together god and i pray that you would just speak to each one of us through pastor jesse this morning in your name amen would you guys say hi to one another Okay, now would you guys stop saying hi to one another? (laughs) That's enough greeting. There was plenty of time to say hi to everyone in the room. Hello, if I don't know you, my name's Marley. I didn't introduce myself before I started singing, so hello. If I don't know you, nice to see you, meet you, hopefully, after service. Um, If you're new to SBC, there is a little info card in the chair in front of you. Um, nobody's in the front row except Pastor Jesse, so you don't have to worry about not having one. Um, anything you need to know about the goings-on here at SBC is on that sheet. And if you are a first-time visitor, we'd love to um, bless you with a gift. We have that for you. Just come on back to our info booth at the end of service. Um, yeah, connect with one of us. We'd love to get you plugged in. We have a ton of community groups and just um, many ways to get you guys plugged in here. So we're happy to have you here. We have a lot going on this week. It's a busy week moving into December, moving into Christmas season. Um, Tomorrow we have, I believe, our last baby shower of the 2022 calendar year. Um, This one's special to me. This is my brother and sister-in-law, and this is their baby shower for my nephew. Um, So this is a co-ed shower tomorrow over in Ray Hall. Sorry, Amy, I hit the um, the thing. Um, yeah, six o'clock tomorrow here, Ray Hall, um, guys and gals, welcome, um, come on out and we'll enjoy some food together and some fellowship. Liam and Lily are registered at Amazon. If you want to bless them with a gift off of their registry, you can just search them on there. Um, and then also coming up this next Saturday is our women's luncheon. That's going to be here at 1130. This is a free event, but if you could just go on and register online, ladies, just so we know who's coming and um, how much food to prepare and all that. And if you have any questions, Connie's contact is on there. Um, You can find that online or on our app. And we'd love to spend some time with you ladies this weekend. Um, We also have our night in Bethlehem coming up. That's going to be Thursday the 8th and Friday the 9th. We shorten that time a little bit. It's no longer 5.30 to 8.30. We're now doing it from 6 to 8. Um, And we still need a lot of people to sign up for cooking. It looks like we're kind of short on cooks. Um, The point of contact for that is Jenny Howard. There is a selection now that you can say you're just going to cook. Um, If you go on to register to help, that should be on there. And then all those recipes that Jenny will give you of what is needed are on there as well. Um, But it's super fun, great event for the community, and we turn this whole place into first century Bethlehem. So it's awesome. Come on out and join us. Um, We are also supporting the Angel Tree Ministry this year again. 
We don't have a slide for it yet, but this will be live on the app tomorrow for you guys to sign up for that. We have 40 slots available, um, and it is $25 to sponsor a child. That is to bless a kid whose parent is in prison. Um, so we'll just bless them with a gift for Christmas because they are not with their parent this year. So um, if you feel led to, to support in that way, that sign-up will be available tomorrow on the app and online. Um, and then last but not least, Christmas Eve. You guys all know what day that is, hopefully, December 24th. Um, we are doing two candlelight services per usual, a little bit different time this year. We're going to do a 5 o'clock and 6.30 p.m., um, both here. And then Christmas Day, that is a Sunday this year, so we're just going to do one service all together. No 8.30 and 10.30. It'll just be one service at 10 a.m. all together on Christmas. So thank you. Let's welcome Pastor Jesse up here. Good morning. I want you to do two things for me. Uh, turn to your Bible, that's number one, to Mark 14 and Psalm 118. <clears throat> we'll get to the Psalm a little bit later, but I want you to at least know where that's at. So Psalm 118 and Mark 14. Go ahead and turn there. And as uh, Marley mentioned, my name is Jesse. I'm one of the pastors here and blessed to, uh, to be a part of the team. Uh, and as she mentioned, there's all kinds of ways for you to get connected. Make sure you download the app and all that good stuff. Um, if you, uh, yeah, let me ask you this question, I guess, first. It should be a, a pretty easy one to answer, I hope. How many of you uh, have had enough turkey in the last several days? No? Someone said no. Uh, so we just celebrated, right, Thanksgiving. Uh, we know the origins of Thanksgiving and why we celebrate it. But it's a great opportunity for us as families to come together. It's a tradition that we have as Americans, and uh, all of you, I'm sure, have participated in it. Well, this morning is <clears throat> fitting because in the passage we're in this morning, we're going to be talking about the Thanksgiving meal, if you will, for the Hebrews. And, and that's where we're going to be this morning, what that looked like and what we learned. The title of the message this morning is The Revelations of the Last Supper. This is the place where we get, uh, where we begin to celebrate communion and Passover. This is what is happening here. And, and literally what this is, is a meal that the Hebrews have celebrated for hundreds of years. And this particular meal of Thanksgiving for them has a lot of significance and, and, and basically celebrates the people, God's people, the Hebrews coming out of Egypt, being freed from their bondage and their slavery, and all of that hard work under the thumb of Pharaoh, and God sends Moses. Moses basically stands in the place for God. He preaches for God. He, he declares that Pharaoh needs to let the people go, or he will suffer consequences that are unimaginable. And we know that he does not submit to, uh, to Moses or to the Lord. Pharaoh doesn't. And the plagues come. And the last plague is the, the plague of the angel of the Lord that comes and takes the firstborn uh, of every family unless by faith they take the blood of a lamb and take that blood and put it over the doorpost of the top and the sides of the door. And in doing so, the angel of the Lord would pass by and not kill the firstborn and, and keep on moving. 
And the result was that Pharaoh let the people go. His firstborn had passed, and he said, enough is enough. He lets the people go. They begin to leave uh, Egypt. They get to the Red Sea. The Red Sea, they're trapped. The people of Egypt come after them, and God opens up that Red Sea. The people freely get across that Red Sea to their freedom and into an everlasting covenant relationship with God the Father. And the uh, Egyptians change their mind, and they start to run after the people to get them back into slavery. And the result is they're drowned by the ocean. And after all of that, the Lord institutes this meal, the Passover meal. A Seder feast meal is what it's called. Uh, At some point, hopefully this year, uh, I would like to schedule uh, for our church an opportunity to partake in a Seder meal and how all of that which is in the Old Testament in that meal points towards this meal and the meal that we celebrate uh, at least here at our church at least once a month in communion and this is the last supper this is it this is the last time that the people god's people will celebrate this meal under the banner of the old covenant and now god's people will celebrate a new meal of thanksgiving not the one we had thursday but the communion meal and we will celebrate that with a new covenant that is in christ okay so you buckled up and ready to go we're going to eat. We're going to eat spiritually, and we're going to see some uh, how they ate physically here. If you would, uh, stand with me this morning, and let's read together as we honor God's word from Mark chapter 14, and I want to start in verse 12. And on the first day of unleavened bread, this is the last week of Jesus' life, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, His disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples, and he said to them, go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He'll show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out, went to the city, and found it just as they had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when, an evening, and when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? And he said to them, It is one of the twelve. One who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. Woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better if that man had not been born. And as they were eating, he took the bread. And after blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Lord, in this moment, we ask for your spirit to be welcomed in this room by our hearts. We know that you are not in need of an invitation. But we are, Lord, We need to remind ourselves to be open to what it is that you want to say to your church, to be open to the ways that you want to mold us 
and to shape us, to be open for the comfort and the encouragement some of us may need, but also to be open for the rebuke that is needed to draw close to you as well. For this we trust you in all things. In Jesus' name the church said, amen. Please take your seat. Imagine at your Thanksgiving meal that the host of your meal points to the turkey and says of the turkey, this turkey represents me. Depending on what family member. Some of you might say, amen, hallelujah. You are indeed a turkey. We see within this particular celebration meal, not only does Jesus make some stark claims, he makes some very radical claims, he really transforms this meal. For hundreds of years, the Hebrews thought it was one thing, and then Jesus completely changes it into something new here. He literally is teaching the church and his disciples that everything in the Old Testament that now points into the New Testament, everything's about Jesus, including the exodus, including the, the reality that they've been drawn out of bondage and slavery. It's all imagery that is true for us in the gospel, that Christ has come. He's a better Moses. And he has come to free us from the bondage of ourselves, from the slavery of sin, from the master of Satan himself, and from the ideologies that the world teaches. This meal, I think, brings tremendous comfort at the same time tremendous discomfort. Again, it's a lot like a family meal at Thanksgiving. There are those you want to talk with and others you don't. And you wonder why they are there. Well, here, the first thing we see, the first revelation that we see within this particular text is the great sovereignty and providence of Jesus. The great sovereignty and providence of, of God the Father in this particular moment. Take note of those first few verses, 12 through 16. What do we see Jesus saying? Well, first we see the disciples say this. Okay, Jesus, let's celebrate the Passover. In fact, it was expected that they would celebrate the Passover. There's no way they wouldn't celebrate the Passover. Every single year, Hebrews from all over the world or individuals who believed in Yahweh from all over the known world would travel to Jerusalem one time a year to celebrate this Passover. It is said that in Jerusalem, there is probably some two million visitors right here in Jerusalem that have flooded Jerusalem. Now, that many people can't live in Jerusalem, but I think the best way to probably picture it for us is no different than what we've experienced as locals in the Tahoe Truckee area this weekend, yeah? I drove by downtown Truckee yesterday, and I was shocked at how many of the parking spaces all the way down into the, the new building and area were totally filled. It is said that, that, that our particular lake basin gets thousands and thousands and thousands of visitors every single weekend. We know the infrastructure here is not built for that. We, we know that our town isn't ready to house that many people. This is what is happening in Jerusalem. And what does Jesus say in Jerusalem with two million people? Go into the city and find a guy with a water basin. You've got to see he knows what he's doing. Okay, go in. You're going to find a guy. <laughs> I'm sure there's more to what is here. I'm sure there's more that was said, more that was shared, maybe a few questions to ask. I actually just noticed this reading it this morning. Didn't even notice it in the first service. But I can't help but see little moments of, of comedic relief within the text. 
Because it doesn't say go to him. It, it says, then follow him. <laughs> right? It's like, there he is. Is that the guy? I think that's him. Let's follow him. Weird. I don't know if that's what's happening. But hey, here he is. Go find And, and here's why this would be interesting. Uh, no offense to you in this morning if this is you as a, a female, but in this particular day and age, it was only a woman who would do this task. This would be rare. This would be something that was out of the norm. And so they're looking for a guy who's carrying this jar. They follow him, and the room is completely prepared. The room is set for him. I mean, imagine for those of you who housed Thanksgiving, if you showed up and Thanksgiving was already taken care of. There should be more rejoicing in that. Either that or none of you cooked this weekend or Thursday. Well, there's two things I want to highlight here. One, God's sovereignty, and the second one is God's providence that we see within these few verses. The idea of sovereignty is this, the reality of who God is, the reality of who Jesus is, this revelation that he's completely in control. And in fact, Acts tells us that Jesus went to the cross because of the predetermined plan of God. God predetermined this. This has always been the plan from day one. This is not outside of God's scope. He's not caught off by surprise because why? He is sovereign. He is providential in all he does. What does this mean? The idea behind sovereignty is that God has the right and the power to do all that he wills. Do you know that? Do you believe that in your faith? Do you live that in your life? God oversees all. That's what sovereignty is. Not only does he oversee it, but he's in control of it. He's allowing certain things to happen, and he's dictating other things. But providence speaks a little bit further into sovereignty. God is in control overall, but providence is that God has purposeful action and design behind all he does. Literally, the word providence, you know what word we get out of providence? to provide. Providence means that God will supply anything and everything that is needed for support or to do the things of God. Literally what, what God is showing us here is not only am I in control, but I will give you the things needed to accomplish my will. I will provide it for you. John Piper, I like how he says it. He says it really well. God does not simply see as a passive bystander. As God, he's never merely an observer. He is not a passive observer of the world and not a passive predictor of the future. Wherever God is looking, and where is God looking, church? Everywhere. That's one of those times you use that word. Everywhere. Where is he looking? Everywhere. And wherever God is looking, God is acting. In other words, there is a profound theological reason why God's providence does not merely mean his seeing, but his seeing too. Do you hear that last part? His seeing too. This is, this is kind of a, a statement that we use when, we'll, like, I'll give you an example. If I go to my son and I say, son, go mow the lawn. And he would hopefully say to me, dad, I will see to it. And what does he do, right? He puts his clothes on, hopefully. He's young. You never know. The shirt might be off. There may be no shoes. We have no idea. He goes outside. He puts gas in the mower. He starts the mower. He mows the lawn. And then he comes in and he says, how have I done? And I look out and I can see a few places he missed. 
Well, you got to go back out there. Okay, I will see to it, Dad. And he goes out and he fixes it until the job is done. And only when the job is done does the son return back into the house. And likewise, for our salvation, our sanctification, our walk with Christ, Jesus is seeing to you. He knows what you need, and he's more than willing to give and to provide what you need that his will would be accomplished. You see, this is tremendous comfort because at this meal, much like some of our family meals, there, there is a beauty to this, but there is also a tension and a hardship and a difficulty. It's confidence here. This should give us confidence. Confidence that God, that God is trustworthy even on the road of life that is difficult and painful, maybe even deadly. God is in control. What would your life look like if you lived this out, knowing that God not only is in control, but God is providential to provide for you anything and everything that is needed to live the life that he desires you to live. What if you submitted to God every time you got together with your family and he gave you, because he is provisional, this, the, the, the long-suffering needed to love your family and to love those who are difficult? We see that God's in control, but the second thing that we see is the omniscience of God, or as I would say, the max knowledge of God. What does that mean? God, not only is he in control, but God knows everything at the table. And not only does he know everything at the table, he knows everything about your life. There's nothing dark, there's nothing secret, there's nothing hidden from God. And what does he say when he finally comes to this meal in the evening? After it's been set up, after they followed this guy with the water there and he's shown his providence in the meal, he sits down and then he lets the cat out of the bag. One of you is going to betray me. This is, this is like, come on now. I know some of you are afraid to laugh because it's hard. But this is no different than our family meals. When somebody drops something at the table, they shouldn't have said about so-and-so, and then all of a sudden the whole table gets quiet. Did anybody else have an awkward Thanksgiving? No? Christmas is right around the corner. Plenty more opportunities in the holiday season. He lets the cat out of the bag. What does he know? He knows the person. He knows the individual. And he knows the motive behind their sin. God knows your sin. God knows what you struggle with. Every holiday, it is a reminder for me, coming from a family of addicts, that, that holiday season is a season for those of you that suffer from depression and hardship and anxiety, that addiction is a major issue in these two months. But the Lord knows. Judas's sin issue, greed, he wanted money, he was also demon-possessed. That's what Luke and John tells us, that Satan entered Judas. That there was a, a spiritual thing that occurred to Judas. And if we look deeper into Scripture, just so you are aware, the only way somebody gets attached to a demon is if their heart is empty or their heart is evil. In this case, his heart is evil and empty. He wanted to fill it with money, fill it with power. He may have even been trying to force Jesus into a type of nationalism Lord, if I turn you in, maybe he'll finally let his power loose and he'll overthrow Rome and he'll overthrow where the Hebrews are at in this moment. 
But we know that Jesus is not caught off by guard. He's not caught off guard. He, he knows that, that Judas is at the table. He knows what Judas is going to do. In other places, he says, go. We're clearing the table. We need to continue with communion, but you've got to confess your sin. Go and do your thing. And Judas leaves. And, but there's an important aspect to this idea of Jesus knowing our sin. It's the word confession. Confession opens up the communion table. Confession gives us the ability, the opportunity to share with the Lord, I know that you know what I'm struggling with. Do you know that in Christ you have that opportunity to go to Jesus and say, this is my issue, and to call it exactly what it is. If it's an addiction, call it an addiction. If it's an affair, don't call it an affair. It's adultery. Call sin, sin, and know that the Lord will welcome you to the table of communion no matter what. Because we know, though Judas gets a bad rap here, Jesus knows that Judas isn't the only one who has an issue. He knows it. What does he say? Look. Come on. Verse 27. Look really closely at the text because it tells us that the others at the room are all having some other issue. Look. And when, I'm sorry, uh, I just had it and I lost it. Verse 27, and Jesus said to them, you will what? Who's all? Everybody. <laughs> Everybody. Everybody. And, and, and we know Peter, he'll tell us, Peter is going to deny him. And the other disciples are going to fall away. What is the lesson here? The lesson is all of us at some point have denied and fallen away from Christ. All of us need to do exactly what the disciples do in verse 19. What do they say in verse 19? Every one of them asks Jesus. Once he makes that statement, is it I? They all are asking the question, is it I? Friends, this is how we should approach the throne of God first. What have I done? Where have I transgressed? Where have I done you wrong? Where have my attitudes not been glorifying? Where have, have my words not been edifying or encouraging? We ask the Lord, is it I? And the answer is yes. You are guilty. And, and we, we see this here. What does it say after Jesus said this? In verse 19, they all began to be sorrowful. That word sorrowful means great pain. It, it's an extreme emotion that is being communicated here. These individuals are disheartened. They're, they're broken up over this. Why? Because they're essentially at the Thanksgiving feast of their day. Jesus has just said the lamb at the table is him. The wine at the table, which would have been four cups of wine, represents him. Everything at the table is about him. This is astonishing. This is massive. Jesus also says something that they're not going to totally understand. You're going to drink this. This is my blood. You're going to break this bread, and this is my body. And everyone's going, what? Did he just say that the lamb is him and that we should eat it? And he's the lamb, and then we should drink the blood, and it's the blood? And, and First of all, you've just taken a punch. 1500 years of tradition being totally uprooted by Jesus your mind would be blown and then he has then he has the ability to sit there and prophesy oh and by the way one of you is going to betray me they're still trying to figure out this whole thing about him being the lamb and the blood and now they're trying to figure out that they're going to deny him and we know that Peter he's I'll never oh never oh, that's a lot of us right oh I will never you're self-righteous. 
And that's how we fall. We all should ask this question. Is it I? But that question needs to be grounded and founded in real, a real response and a real ask. It has to have realness to it. Why do I say that? Because guess who else answered the question? Judas. He faked his sadness. He pretended he maybe was one of them. Well, he knew he was the problem. Jesus knows at the table the reality of our human condition. Some of us want the world. That's Judas. Some of us are weak. That is Simon Peter. We, we see that actually in verse 37. Jump down. Remember Jesus wants to pray? Where are the disciples when he's praying? In Mark 13, 14, 37. Do you see it? Sleeping. Fear. Mark 14, 50 says just as, just as such. Or cowardice. Peter's denial. It doesn't matter what the reason is, but all of us have a natural tendency inside of our hearts to scatter from the Lord. Most college, unfortunately, Young people, when they leave high school, want to taste the world. So they do all the things that most of us in this room, if we're honest, have done. Have you not? Very few of us have grown up in the church, exited the church, lived for Christ, and are continuing to do so today. Most of us in the room, if you're human, have done something stupid in your 20s. And now... Our society is extending it into the 30s. Thank God I just missed that millennial line there. I just. Whew, whew. Well, what does Jesus say of this particular man? What does he say of Judas? He knows it. he's to be pitied. Woe, he says. Woe to him. What we see in this particular statement is Jesus loved Judas. He cared for Judas. He cares for all of us, even in our rebellion. In fact, it, it, it sounds a lot like here from Psalm 55, 12, for it is not an enemy who taunts me, but I could bear it. It's not an adverse, adversary who deals insolent with me. Then I could hide from him, but it is you a man, my equal, my, my companion, my familiar friend. Jesus is saying it's not the one who, who's far away, it's, it's someone that's close. And though God is allowing all of this to happen, Judas is still culpable for his sin. And so we have to carry the tension between God's sovereignty and providence and our human free will. God is directing all for sure, but you are responsible for your sin. And if that wasn't enough, if you've never sinned, and I know you have, the sins Adam, Adam's sin has been imputed to you. You're born in sin. And then you have your own sin. But yet we know he knows these things. He's not caught off guard. He's omniscient. He knows the sin. He knows what's happening. But then lastly, my last point for this morning is the great need that all of us have to remember the gospel. That's why he's instituted this meal. It's quite interesting, this meal. I, I don't have time for all the details. I wish I did. Because it, it is incredible. And like I said, if you've ever had a chance to, to sit down with a Messianic Hebrew who, who knows how to do the meal as it was originally intended, 
and to connect the meal with all of the things that are about Jesus, it's just mind-blowing. First of all, there are several elements. There's, there's a paste. There's a kind of paste. that represents the mortar of the bricks. It's part of the meal. One of the other things that would be at the meal would be a parsley leaf, uh, some parsley. And that parsley would be taken. Every one of us, if we were all at the table, all of us would have our own elements, our own glass of wine, our, our own piece of lamb, and our own uh, parsley, and, and our own little jar of salt water. And that parsley was taken, and it was dipped into the salt water. And then it was pulled out. And then it was dipped again, and then it was consumed and it, it, those who understand the meaning of it know that what the Hebrews were celebrating is that the, the, the parsley, it represents the youthfulness and the youngness and the fruitfulness of Israel to come. The parsley is Israel. The salt water represents, as it's dipped into the salt water, it, it represents their tears, pain and suffering and sorrow and work, slavery, we have had many tears in our journey is essentially what they were communicating. They would pull it out. But remember I said they dipped it a second time and then they consumed it. And the second time, the parsley represents Israel. And Israel, before it crossed over the Red Sea, it was swallowed by the ocean. And so in the first part, it represents Israel and its fruitfulness and its tears. In the second part, in the second part, it represents that, that God's enemies have been drowned in their own sorrow, in their own tears, and God has swallowed them up for all eternity. What's the promise at the table? The promise at the table is that Jesus himself, the one who is evergreen, the one who will always be fruitful, that one was dipped in our tears, in our sorrow, in our sin, and he was swallowed into the grave for three days and three nights. But the grave couldn't hold him because our Savior overcomes death. Amen? How amazing is that? And all of these different elements would be there. Another one of the elements, there'd be four glasses of wine, two during the meal and, and two after the meal. And each one of them is directly uh, connected with the promises of God from Exodus uh, chapter 6. And so if you have time, you can turn to Exodus chapter 6. But I want to explain these four cups of wine because at communion, right, we break the bread. And the bread's what? Unleavened because it has no decay. It's not going to go bad. It's not going to uh, rot. That represents Jesus. And then the glasses of wine represent the blood of Jesus as well as the promises of God. Because he, remember, I told you, the last point here is the need, that revelation of remembering the gospel. Because of Jesus in John chapter 1, verse 29, what does John the Baptist say of Jesus that connects with this table, this meal? Behold, Moses, uh, uh, John the Baptist says. Behold what? The Lamb of God. And what does the Lamb of God do? takes away the sins of the world, takes away our sin. And so we focus in on this lamb who takes away the sin of the world and these four cups of promise to remember the gospel. And these four cups represent four promises, and they are this. The first cup, I will bring you out. Comes from Exodus 6. I will bring you out. Rescue from Egypt. 
rescue from bondage, rescue from sin. It's called the cup of thanksgiving. So they would celebrate. Thank you, God, that you have freed us from the bondage of slavery, from Pharaoh. It's a promise. It's a celebration of promise for us in the new covenant that, that Jesus has freed us from the bondage of the world and the slavery of sin. And then you have the cup of judgment, the freedom from slavery, or, or the, the, uh, the cup of plagues is what it's called. Here they're again remembering that God has given them freedom from the curse. And then after the meal, two more cups. The third cup is called the cup of redemption or the cup of blessing. This particular cup is the main one that is the focus of this particular meal. And it reminds us that Jesus wants to purchase us again from sin and from slavery. He wants to adopt us. That is Galatians chapter 4. This is called in 1 Corinthians 10, 16, the cup of blessing. Jesus represents this cup. And then lastly, there's the cup of renewed relationship. I will take you to be my people. It's believed that when Jesus says, I will not drink of the vine again, it's believed that it's two, two kind of thoughts. One is, Jesus is saying, you will keep celebrating communion, but until the new heaven and the new earth come together, Jesus won't. Or, it's believed that Jesus is saying this, that he's not actually drinking the fourth cup. And that what he's saying is, I'll drink the first three cups, but I'm not going to drink the fourth one until heaven and earth come together because the fourth one is all about the renewed relationship, perfect relationship with God, the cup of praise. It's a cup of fullness and a cup of completeness. And Jesus is saying, not yet. Not yet. He refuses to drink. And they would partake of this and it would represent the judgment of God as well as the blessing of God. One of the things that the Hebrews really understood, especially in regards to their tears and they being dipped in their pain, is they saw their pain and their hardship in life directly connected with their blessings. Come on. What they were able to see is that, that yes, that what Satan determined for evil and bad and what Satan is doing to destroy me and, and separate me from God and to keep me from God, yes to all of that, but the reality is in my pain, all of the things that Satan is trying to do to destroy me, God's going to use to build me up to make him a child of God. And they saw that their hurt was just as valuable as their blessing. And they were able to thank God in both the hardship and the difficulty. Can you not see? God knows all. God knows what you're wrestling with. There's no need to hide it. Just throw it out there. I mean, we're now getting to the place where we're in Scripture when it says they will call evil good and good evil. We're there. How many of you are aware of the Balenciaga stuff that's been in the news lately? To show you Satan entered into Judas and you know, Balenciaga's got this name. It's, it's, it, it's all about bling and whatnot. I don't even know. I can't afford it. I'll never have to wear it. Don't worry about it for me. But Balenciaga, it, 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 they came out with an advertisement, if you're not aware, and this advertisement is of young little children. You know, when the, the picture of these young kids, they're, they're standing there and they're all holding plush teddy bears dressed in what we would call bondage outfits. They're little kids three, four years old, holding sexual bondage teddy bears. If that wasn't enough, 
If you look further in one of the photos, they've actually placed discreetly, but out in the open for you to see, a particular court case that basically said that what Balenciaga is doing is wrong and against the law. And of course, what does Balenciaga do? Oh, we didn't know. Oops, we're sorry. Oh, that court case, we didn't know that was there. We didn't know. You think they didn't know that was there? These people make millions of dollars a year to get you to buy their garbage. There's no coincidence. So what, what do they do? What do they do? What do they do? Well, first of all, I'll tell you what I did. I went on Instagram, and I wrote them a letter they'll never see. But it made me feel better, so I did it. Okay, that's the first thing I did. The second thing, that, that's what I did. Then what they did, not because of me, but because of the, 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 the outcry of, of those who, like us who were still trying to proclaim light into the world, they scrubbed their Instagram, scrubbed their Facebook, and apologized for it. Oh, everything's okay. Well, it wasn't that much longer after that particular article came out. They came out with another advertisement of a lady that looks fine enough until you look at the bookshelf. And on the bookshelf behind him, it's actually a desk. On the desk, there's three books. It might be four, but at least three books. And the top book is a book that it depicts, is written by, or illustrated rather, by a well-known artist who paints children in the nude with body parts surrounding them with blood. What do you say? <laughs> okay, here, here's why I share all that. Here's why I share all this. I share it because for you and I, we don't have anxiety over it. There should be a righteous anger for sure. But we trust what's in this text. God, what Satan intends for evil, you intend for good. I don't know how you're going to wrap everything around for your beauty and your glory and our healing and our sanctification, but I know you're good. And every time I question your goodness, I just look to the cross where you died for me, where you gave your only son, where you shed your perfect, innocent blood on my behalf. God, you're in control, and I promise to sit with you at this table and to continue to confess my sins to you because I know that no matter how dark things get and how bad my attitude can get off track, you're still going to love me. And you're still going to want to eat with me. It's the most intimate of friendship that you can have. And God's letting everybody know, just clear the table right now. Just get it out in the open. Get all your stuff on the open. Because if you understand who I am in the new covenant, you will know that I get your bondage. I get your addiction. I get your depression. I tasted all of it on the cross. That's what he's saying. And I want to eat with you. In your filth and in your mess. I want to embrace you, and I want to heal you. And the first thing that matters is your walk with the Lord, what this means for you. And then it starts to percolate into the rest of our lives and the rest of our families and the rest of our marriages and the rest of our kids. Can we just ask the question, what would our church look like if it completely understood the greatness and the sovereignty of God? What would our church look like if we knew we didn't have to hide our junk 
weaknesses, our frailty, and our sins? What if this place was the only place on the earth, on the planet, that you could share who you really are? And everyone says, yeah, I'm like Peter too. I've done the same things Judas has done as well. What ensures you don't become like Judas? Confess your sin. Something Judas never could do. Too much pride. Too much worldliness for him to show his weakness. I love the way the text ends, and we're going to end it the same way. A little bit unique, a little bit different. Let me prepare you ahead of time. But once they went into this room, and once they ate and Jesus cleared the table, they then left. In verse 26, we read how they left. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Just like most of our service, they say, why do we close in a song? Well, because they did here. It's a good thing to do. And the thing they sang here, what was typically sung here at this meal was Psalm 118. So we're going to do that this morning. You're going to need your Bible, so turn to Psalm 118. If you don't have a Bible, I know you have a cell phone and you can Google Psalm 118. You're going to need it. And here's what we're going to do. We're not going to sing it because I don't sing. Okay? Brad did tryouts, and I didn't make the team. So, <clears throat> But we're going to read Psalm 118. Here's how we're going to do it. Once you've found it, I want you to stand with me, please. Once you've found it, stand with Psalm 118. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to do very much like what they would have done in this meal and at this meal. I'm going to read verse 1. And you're going to read verse 2. Then I will read verse 3. And you will read... Okay, half of you got it. Then I'll read verse 5. And then you'll read... Okay, easy math, right? A lot, a lot more of you uh, parents are homeschooling now, so you've got to be able to do this. All right? Here we go. This is... You're going to see the meaning here. You're going to see the connections because there's many. And it's quite beautiful. Verse 1, I will start. Verse 2, you will continue. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord and the Lord answered me and set me free. as my helper I shall look in triumph on those who hate me it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes they summoned me surrounded me on every side in the name of the Lord I cut them off I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I 
I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Save us. We pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray. Give us success. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. One last thing I want you to just understand as we close is how important it is for you to arm yourself in this world with the promises of God. God has made promises here. If you are ever in need of promises from your Savior, Psalm 118 has them. And if you're looking for more, go to Exodus 6. In Exodus 6, you'll see God declare, I will bring you out from your burdens. I will deliver you from slavery. I will redeem you. I will take you. I'll bring you out of the land, and I'll give it to you. God has made promises to you, church. You need to know those promises so that you can walk in the confidence that Christ has given you that is in Christ. Amen? Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you to hear from your word, and to now go and do likewise. We trust you for it in Jesus' name the church said. God bless you. Have a great weekend. What's left of it, we'll see you next week.